So coming into 2024, either we get a financial crisis, rates go to zero, or we keep raising rates, but not as not fast, not as fast as governments are spending money because we're just trying to keep people doing things, and the rates are negative. That we get to crypto around seventy thousand uh, by the end of 2024, and that's a combination of the crypto happening event, right? Um, maybe there's going to be you know a few ETFs launched by a large asset manager in the U.S. and Europe and China, or maybe Hong Kong, to be specific. So we regain the all-time high to the end of 2024, and that's when the real fun starts, right? That's when the real bull market starts. And so my mental model for where we could go, I think we're gonna go somewhere between, you know, 750,000 to a million dollars in Bitcoin on the upside. Boom, we're back. Pod 116 of the world's most bullish podcast. That's right. Bullish Bitcoin banter and bullshit. Brought to you, as always, by Mr. Orlin, a.k.a. the Trillion Dollar Man, Dr. Evil 10%, a.k.a. the People's Champ, myself, Sir Neverlook, a.k.a. the Excellence of Execution, and surprise, surprise, she's not here. Apparently in Italy, oh. drinking Starbucks. <laughs> In Venice, I might be hilarious if she actually is drinking Starbucks in Italy. Like, is that isn't that the, the home of coffee over there? Somewhere, it's meant sure She's Italian drink good coffee. coffee, right? But you'll probably yeah. find a crappy American Starbucks and drink some. Let's <laughs> say, are they legal in Italy? Well, let's see. You find out. I'm pretty sure they will be. Yeah. Yeah, before we start, I wanted to give a shout out this week to a new book. One that I bet you haven't really ever seen before. It's Bitcoin, the Digital Gold, a guide for proud parents and doting grandparents by Ralph Lennox. Ooh. It's actually quite new out, and it's written by the dad of someone we all know. So basically, it's Susie Lennox, if you remember. Mm. Uh, from our company so she's recently left uh the company that you guys work for and i used to so i was just going oh you know congrats see you later and it's obviously short bitcoin on my linkedin profile which i was surprised she was like reacting it to it seemed like for the first time because i posted about bitcoin so many fucking times talked to her (laughs) at length about bitcoin as well but she said oh you know downloaded bitcoin lessons loved it Oh, do you know my dad wrote a book a book about Bitcoin? I went, no, I didn't know this. What what's it called? It's called Bitcoin: The Digital Gold, and uh, it's on Amazon. I'm like, no, holy shit! <laughs> so um, I'll send you guys the link. Yeah, Bitcoin: The Digital Gold, a guide for proud parents and doing grandparents is on Amazon. Fifteen quid. Ordered it the other day, and um, it's not. Um, it's written not as like a a book say like the bitcoin standard to be a comprehensive guide to bitcoin it's mm. written as a memoir so it basically details this guy's experience of coming into bitcoin how he found it what challenges he had and his journey and then essentially it does turn into a quite a comprehensive view so i was a little bit worried reading it just because you're like is he gonna start talking about crypto and i saw there was a t- chapter on crypto uh oh 
Here we are. Oh, did, did he have a shit coin journey? And to be fair, he did. But then he very quickly goes, but now I'm a proud Bitcoin maximalist. And, mm. and, he, and he goes, my original portfolio, you know, he comes from the typical investing uh, kind of remit of diversification. So he came in with 50% Bitcoin, 25% ETH, 25% a random part of shit coins, about 20 different shit coins. And he very quickly, well, he said he did all this back in 2017, did all right. And then but a couple of years later, he realized, Oh, these are just he, he calls them altcoins, but you know, I forgive him on that. It's his only faux pas in the book, calling them altcoins, not shit coins. <laughs> but he's now sold them all, converted them all into Bitcoin, and he's now making sure and or building up and ensuring that the biggest reason he's doing this now is I think he's been successful, it sounds like in his life. He has enough. He is doing this for his kids and grandkids to pass down generational wealth. Mm-hmm. And he is worried that his his home and his money will be taxed or confiscated by the government at some point. And he wants to make sure he can definitely pass on some of his wealth to his grandchildren that he thinks will absolutely really, really need it because of the state of the world right now. And you go, fair play. I can't believe it. This is someone that is so close to like our like friendship group and our kind of social circle. He's a boomer. Yeah, you know, this guy's in yeah. like his late sixties, I think. You know, he's he's not a young fella. And let's go. This is awesome that he has found Bitcoin at such a late stage in his life. He's got it. The, I read this book, waited like looking for mistakes and to criticize him. I didn't see any, but then I look Oof. at the end and I was like, what was his references? It's the Bitcoin Standard. It's Sailor. You know, it's Satoshi. He's read the white paper. He's like, oh, well, no wonder there's no fucking mistakes in this. This mm. guy is well read. Like, he, he references Lynn Alden. And you're like, oh, well. And in the end of the book, it's, it, it, um, it dates just how recent it is. He references the BlackRock ETF. That's how he, he leaves the book. And you go, well, bloody hell, he's bang up to date. So yeah, it's a shout out to someone that we, we kind of like, we're just one one layer away. Yeah, we literally yeah. know his daughter. And uh yeah, fair So is, she, she, is a she a Bitcoiner? No, she's not. What? Is she usually like, you know, feeds up in generations, not down? No. She... This is true. This is actually a really good point. You're right. It normally feeds hmm. It's not from boomer to yeah. Which is why I give him all the kudos because so often boomers have been orange-pilled by the, a younger member of their family. It sounds like this guy orange-pilled himself. And, you know, he's grown up in Fiatland for that extra 20 or 30 years over us. And so, yeah, it kind of like even more embedded in this Fiat world of, oh, no, no, like the way to make money is making shares, bonds, property, maybe a bit of gold. He's been brainwashed with that. And he's managed to throw all that in the bin and go, nah, nah, nah. Well, it's not even gold now, is it? It's like 60% bonds, 40% stocks. And if you have 60% bonds, they should keep the 40% stocks from dipping down. Yeah. That, that's actually what they're feeding now. It's not gold. Gold's not even on, on the menu. Yeah. I'm Which... actually really, really disappointed that our friend has left the business and I know I can't get a signed copy. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great well, well, here's one. She, I don't think she lives too far away from me. So I message her, say, don't suppose you can get three copies of your dad's book signed? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I would love that, yeah. This is, this is did brilliant. You, did you pass on the pod to her? Uh, no, I, I, I was going to, I'm actually going to message her on LinkedIn because I, I only finished it uh, today. So um, I was going to message her on LinkedIn just going, your dad's book's fucking great. Because I, I wanted to reserve judgment. Mm. Never know, right? And normally when people say they're a Bitcoin or they're written about Bitcoin, I go, is it going to be a shitcoin book? Is it going to be a trading book? Is it just going to be fucking wrong? Mm. It, this, guy, this guy could join this pod and talk like us. I just know he could. Because this book, but it's, it's not going to freaking shatter. You're not going to learn anything necessarily because like we all get it. And we've read the same books as him. And he's just saying his experience. But for the for the average layman, I would absolutely recommend this book because it's. If anything, I would recommend probably this book to our mums and dads because yeah, he's re- he's written that he is a mum and dad. He's well, he's a granddad now, so yeah, and it's written from his perspective, coming in with all his misgivings, going, I don't think it's going to work. This newfangled thing, he writes it from his perspective as a six year old coming into Bitcoin, and you go. Holy shit, that's um, quite a unique angle because not many people have done that. And he gets it all the way like to Bitcoin maxi level. And you go, fair, but there's not many people that get that far anyway. Nearly everyone gets diverted off by the shiny shitcoin or oh, I'm going to trade it. Or they always like veer off the path of where you should be going through greed I, or whatever. I think, but... I think everyone's had that thought about trading, haven't they? Yeah. I remember when I first bought Bitcoin, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll sell it. And then you're so fucking deep into it, you're just like, I'm not trading this. doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it goes down. It's going to come back up. Yeah. Well, I want to go a step further in the fact that he's gone so far as to publish a book, and I'm trying to find other works by Ralph Lennox and don't see anything. So is this not only a uh, an ode to Bitcoin, but it's actually the first time he's ever even wrote a book. So he sat down, taking the time to publish this and then leave something behind for both his kids and his grandkids. Yeah, that's deep. It really is. And I, I, I almost I feel for him because it's like uh, it's like with us trying to orange pill like your parents and stuff. But I think he's got it the other way around where he's trying to orange pill his kids. Mm. I know one of them and was talking about Bitcoin for freaking years, you know, to her. And she she was open to it, but was never engaged in the conversation. Like she was very clearly not a Bitcoiner herself. Yeah, when I look back on this, he said he got into Bitcoin in 2016, 2017. Yeah. But, like, I was talking to her then about this. So maybe... Imagine that, like, you're speaking to your dad. It's like, what have you been up to dad this week? Oh, getting into Bitcoin, writing some sh- um, some tweets to some Keynesians. <laughs> and it's like, dad, um, stop offending people on Twitter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, just shit posting some shit coiners. 
more well, VMA always. Well, obviously, we talked about me trying to orange pill my daughter, and again doing it the other way round, and that was from a a young Bitcoiner on another podcast, which we won't mention. I'm just going to go back to uh, the name of the person of who it was. Uh, oh, Samantha Dewal. It was, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, she she didn't get it. She uh, she knows each and every. She you know she's behind that door right now. Uh, every Tuesday, we're recording. And uh, and I come out sometimes, or I'll see her in the next morning. She's just like, he's still talking about that Bitcoin thing, <laughs> you know. So it's kind of the more we talk about it, the more it puts them off it. <laughs> but it's also at what age do you have a decent enough understanding of money and what money should be in order to look at an alternative? Because mm. you know, like. With my kids, they're really quite young. And I can't even bring the concept of Bitcoin up to them because it just go over their head because they don't really understand money. Like they just want to, you give them a pound, like they want to give it away to all their friends for a piece of grass because, yeah. you know, they want that piece of grass because their, their time preference is so out of kilter. They just don't understand what money really does. And like they say, well, why do you have to work all day? Because I have to pay the bills. Yeah. Um, just on this book, we, we definitely you you definitely need to reach out to her. Uh hardcover, as always, but Amazon is saying that there are no it, it won't come until the 19th of April 2024. Uh, do do pay for that, but I don't think there's any hardcovers. I, th- I think what it is, you know, like I don't know what it is actually, but there's been quite a few books recently. Like Lynn Oldham was one. Yeah. It's um just it, go, it's it's fine. This is this is just a paperback. It's fine. It's not gonna get wrecked. Yeah. If anything, I must admit, I find it easier to read because you can like bend it. You know, you just it's just like you know, it's neat. Yeah. With the hardcover, you know, it's almost you have to read it properly, which I guess is <laughs> It's yeah. kind of good. You have to turn the pages one by one, but in this, you can just go, "Wow, oh, where where was I?" You know. Yeah. So I, I like it. It's more of a casual read, and a very easy read. Like it won't take you long because it's yeah, hundred and ten pages. Uh, so yeah, you he's preaching to the to the to the converted here. So, but yeah, what, look, what do you reckon? Should we invite him on? Invite him on? I think we should. As a yeah. first guest, well, not as the first guest because we had the young MBA, didn't we? As the first, probably proper guest that isn't yeah someone in our friendship group. But this Ooh. is be a guy we don't know like, at all. I think it'd be fantastic, and um, we could make it happen for sure. <laughs> yeah, and we could just you know just see get see what his viewers on trying to orange pill your kids. And these, yeah, these, and, the, and when these aren't kids as we talk about them, this is like. It was kids who were in their thirties. Yeah, it must be so annoying to be trying to kill oh. your kids when they're thirty odds. Going, what the fuck aren't you getting here? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, when your kid's seven, I, I freaking fine. But when your kid's thirty-five, I was, hello, like your dad's a bitcoiner here. That's a great episode. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. And also his background as well, because 
He must be a techie. Either a techie or in financial services of some sort and understanding, you know, you know, what was, I mean, what was going on in 2016 specifically? Because that's when he references, he was at a point in his life, maybe it was retirement, early retirement, but all of these questions questions we need to ask. So I, I would guess it's just the retail boom, which got him noticing, you know, like all of us, because if, he, if he's in the tech sphere, it's just, oh, yeah, Bitcoin came to the forefront a bit more. It's a bit more of a mature market than it was, say, four years before, when not many people knew about it. So I just, I assume it's going to be similar to us, but he got in deeper earlier. Hmm. Well, Ralph Lennox, there is an invitation to the world's most bullish podcast coming out to you very soon. Nice. Yeah, let's let's make it happen. Um, yeah, it's a great, great way to start the show. So <laughs> let's get into the first story. 750000 to $1 million per Bitcoin by 2026. Now, <laughs> we were talking about this just before we started to press record. And there's, um, there's a few things that Dr. Evil 10% wants to say to some people when this moment happens, I'm sure. <laughs> like, what? what do you mean? I fucking told you <laughs> so. Why didn't you listen? That too. I was going to say, there'll be, we'll be a lot said. Um, but yeah, it's just, I look at price predictions and for me, I understand it, you know, makes more people more bullish and people get excited by it because he's in the business. But I'm just like, well, you know, what did he reference? He referenced that it was based on the halving and ETFs to go up to 75K when he thinks it will just be a general bull market to take it for even further by 2026. So I don't know. I think it's probably a bit over the top, but I just don't really pay much attention to the price predictions personally. Well, my take on any price predictions, and it sounds bullish, but I, I also actually think that they're wrong. And they're very wrong because we underestimate where it will actually go to. And I always reference the, um, the internet. You know, when the internet came out and it was being used more widestream, yeah, fantastic. You know, you could go on certain websites and could do certain things, but now it's a staple, hardcore thing in your life. You need it. You know, it's 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 vital for most things, if not everything, to happen. And oh. uh you just you've just made me think. I'm listening to an audio book called Money in One Lesson. My mm. God, it appalls me. <laughs> it starts talking about um how we need inflation. I don't know where I came up with this, you know, saw I must have read a recommendation about it. So I thought I'll 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 read or listen to that. Mm. What you were saying, men, just about the staple, it's just made me think about all the shit which has come out of his mouth, it's basically written by a Keynesian, like how we need this, like um, otherwise we would end up in total, I can never say the word, um, total totalitarianism. Yeah, and it's just like, mm, we're ending up that way anyway. Yeah. Like, just look at Canada and New Zealand, and even the UK to a certain extent. 
That's a great line. We need inflation to stop authoritarian governments. <laughs> I mean, who told you that? An authoritarian yeah, move government. away. Yeah, move away from the gold standard, and it's just like. Yeah. Is that the uh, book by Gavin Jackson, by the way? Um, bear in mind, so I'll just have a quick look. So I had to load it up before just to. Yeah, by Gavin Jackson. Now, it has got yeah. Bitcoin reference in it, but yeah. I'm up to chapter five and I'm just like, it, it's a bag of shit so far, unless it's going yeah. to do a big corner. I've got exactly the same. So I've got the hardcover version on my shelf. It's looking at me. And I was actually planning on, I think I'm just going to make the plunge and get Lynn's book, um, paperback copy and just wait for the hard copy to eventually come out. But um Ultimately, I was going to try and compare the two because obviously she oh, talks about it's unless between... it does a, a hard turn in it. Yes, yeah, it's, just, it's a right. bag of shit. But obviously, read it, yeah. confirm what I'm saying. Don't trust, verify. Oh no, I've started it already, and it's just and so far it's it a bit like it tries to measure them against each other, but then it's just like, yeah. but it's leaning heavily like into the Keynesian inflation monetary system, and you're just kind of going. It's just, you know, like he said, oh, yeah, talks about Milton Friedman versus Keynes. And he goes, oh, yeah, Milton Friedman, all his predictions are wonderful. And then the 80s showed deflation through oil. I'm like, you do realize what happened in the 70s, dickhead? It was a petrodollar fucking moron, which is which may, managed to bring the oil price down. Otherwise, it would have kept on shooting up, you fucking idiot. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a book no one should buy. Yeah, but, it's it's a terrible book so far, but I'll have to finish it. Um yeah. and probably bring up sorry, I went on a complete it's a tangent then. It just make me remember it. I've got one of the biggest bullish stories of the year, and you're just talking about a book that you hate. So a <laughs> million dollar Bitcoin, right? So this is from Arthur Hayes, and Arthur Hayes isn't just some random guy. He is actually very, very well read. He's, he's he's one of the few that I'm subscribed to his newsletter. Every but, day on crypto Twitter has a newsletter, but this guy is, is actually... Mm-hmm. But he a, runs a platform, doesn't he? He r- runs yeah. a trading platform. So this is yeah. evidently to stoke interest in order to make people trade more. This guy is so rich, he doesn't give a shit about that anymore. He's he's out of the game. And if, if you... Why does he run a platform then? He doesn't really anymore. I think he's fucked off. He, he might be CEO in name, but it's a, a bit like with Jack Dorsey. Like, oh, he was CEO of Twitter for ages. It's like, yeah, but was he? He mm. kind of phoning it in. You know, for <laughs> once you reach <laughs> billionaire status, you kind of yeah, the, the company kind of runs itself. You come in for board meetings. Arthur's the same kind of guy, and um, he he's a bit like a Lynn Olden in my reading of him as in he really understands, because he comes from a deep financial background. He's a banker uh, from an origin. And then he saw this divergence of Bitcoin coming out and straight away pivoted from the financial world and thought, oh, I have all the knowledge of trading platforms. I can create one in the crypto land and make bank because no one else knows how to build a good platform. I know how these things are built. I'll build one over here for crypto and I'll become a billionaire. He did it. Yeah, did it, created BitMEX. So, but then now he just talks largely and just writes his his monthly newsletters. And I think we've had his newsletters on here a few times. So actually, yeah, I'll play the clip of him. 
So I have to ask, where do you think Bitcoin is going? Is this something that you know uh, breaks 100,000? Is this something that breaks a million? Is Michael Saylor gonna be a hero or the world's biggest L? What do you think? So my, my working model is that you know, we're going to continue chopping around 25, 20, 30,000 this year um, as we get to the, some sort of financial disturbance and people recognize that real rates are negative. If, you know, if government is growing, if the economy is growing at a nominal rate of 10%, but I'm only getting 5%, 6%, even though it's high, people are on the margin going to start buying other stuff, crypto being one of those things. So coming into 2024, either we get a financial crisis rates go to zero or we keep raising rates, but not as not fast, not as fast as governments are spending money because we're just trying to keep people doing things and the rates are negative that we get to crypto around 70,000 uh, by the end of 2024. And that's a combination of the crypto happening event, right? Um, maybe there's going to be, you know, a few ETFs launched by large asset managers in the U S and Europe and China, or maybe Hong Kong to be specific. So we regain the all time high, to the end of 2024 and that's when the real fun starts right that's when the real bull market starts and so my mental model for where we could go i think we're going to go somewhere between you know 750,000 to a million dollars in bitcoin on the upside right and we're going to whatever the level is there's gonna be a round number everyone's gonna be focusing on i guess like bitcoin hit 69,999 didn't hit 70,000 and then it's gonna go whoosh, uh, and just crash, you know, 75, 80, 90%, whatever it is, right? Doesn't matter. But yeah, so my upside target issues, so the 750,000 million dollar level 2026 um, timeframe, just because, again, I believe this is going to be the largest market in financial, bull market and financial assets we have ever seen in human history. So not only will Bitcoin be at a ridiculous price, you know, NASDAQ would be at a ridiculous price. So people be at a ridiculous it's a, it's a relatively short clip. It's still about two minutes, but it's he just talks it through going, where is his rationale coming from? And uh, largely, he's just going, like, the, the crash is coming. The crash is coming in a year or two. There's a big financial crash, and there will be a run to sound money. So he thinks next year, Bitcoin will be about 70K. Essentially, we will break all-time highs but not by a huge amount, but we'll break all-time highs next year uh, after quite a lot of chopping at this 25 to 30K, probably for the next six months to, to a year. But then the end of the year, we'll, we'll smash through the all-time high. And then going forward from that, the next year, he thinks it's going to get nuts and we, we can go to 750 to, to a million dollars. And that will largely be brought because of a huge financial collapse somewhere. Something yeah, will happen. I think the 75 to 100K probably isn't far off within the next couple of years is what I'd agree with. I just don't know if the collapse will happen straight away because we keep on getting propped up by mm. more money being printed and then high interest rates. So they're basically going Spoiler print, alert. interest, print, <laughs> high, it, like this. And it's basically, I just don't know if it's going to collapse quite yet. And yeah, also well, I think we'll get dragged into CBDCs. Well, that could be basically what he's saying is I, he doesn't know what the trigger will be, but look, yeah. look how many triggers there could be right now. There could be I mean, yeah. a climate change thing. There could be a World War Three thing. There could be like this year we had small banks going under. We could have some big banks going under. There's just pick your pick your 
pick off the menu of things, right? There's a big fucking list of Black Swan events. They're all just queued up here. Some are complete like psyopses and false flags that but others are just genuine. Like we know that the banking collapse is very much real. Uh we know this World War Three thing, whether it's a setup or not, is going to cost a fuck ton of money if it if it does kick off and tax is going to go up and all that kind of stuff. We know the soft living crisis is real. We know inflation is very much real. We know we're at a tipping point. So it's just what is the thing? What what's the what is the last straw? What's the straw that broke the camel's back? As well, and again, it comes back to the the infamous uh, changing world order. But the fact of what's just gone on between Palestine and Israel, and naturally the US being involved in a war that doesn't concern them, just means that they are um, even more thinly spread. Because now you're supporting the war in Ukraine, you're supporting the war in Israel. You're still, you know, trying to fight China, becoming the world's superpower as well. And again, spoiler alert, you're printing more money. <laughs> it's um, that um, saying, history, um, what is it? History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Like, so the yeah. comparison is you look at, um, like the world powers, and it happened to England, got stretched by the First World War, so they had to pass over the book. You had France um, were competing, I think, was it for England to become like the superpower um, back originally? And they mm-hmm. became overstretched with the Napoleonic Wars. Um, you got Rome, became overstretched of their overseas territories. And, you know, it, it's just happened so many times, but apparently this yep. time it's different, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly that. But all of these things, as we as we always say, are there in plain sight, available for us to see. And, you know, back to Mr. Rawlins' point, you pick off the menu of what's going to be going wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just think it's very... Will be. I just think it's very bullish for one to two years. Kind of like, you know, 2020... Sorry, three years. He said 2026, didn't he? So I think, well, actually, it's bordering on two years now i'd be very surprised but you know obviously a time will tell mm. yeah and then the next story just feeds in perfectly because we're going oh yeah people don't think there's going to be a financial collapse or whatever well literally what happened last week to the u.s debt that they added 275 billion in a single day you know that's half the market cap of bitcoin they just printed out of thin air and these big straight lines on the debt that America has is, is just, they're actually relatively rare, these straight lines. It's only happened two or three times in the last couple of years. You know, we just tick up. But yet again, it's another straight line up. And it's just the size of it. Almost on the chart, you can barely see the straight line. But that is half the market cap of Bitcoin that it's just gone up in a sink. They just printed it out of fucking thinner. And you know, what are they doing that for? It's, and this is this is what you're saying, right? They're doing this to underpin their failing economy. That's why yeah. they're doing this. Yeah, because it's going because you think they printed so much between 2020 and 2022. And we've got a little graph on this page by Samson Mal. And it's between December and September. And it's what's that? They've added debt on 
four billion roughly against um, twenty nine. So that is That's trillion. That's trillion. So trillion, sorry, <laughs> trillion. So that is off my brain, which is not running very quickly today. That is what thirteen, fourteen percent in a year after they did it massively between twenty to twenty twenty four. You know, roughly about forty percent. So we've added on a decent percentage point. Like I don't know how much money's in existence there, but to bring the debt up by thirteen, fourteen percent is still absolutely monstrous, isn't it? Yeah, and the, the, you know, the GDP of America is twenty three trillion, and their debt is not. We get the debt clock out. It's been out for a while, but I'll <laughs> go back to it. <laughs> but it's nuts, right? So they <laughs> their entire GDP. So this is, you know, I think people forget what GDP is as well. It's it basically is if you for every minute and or every hour that every single person works in America, all three hundred thirty million of them. All that time and effort, all added up, basically means they create $23 trillion worth of value. So that is the entire output of America. Their debt alone is $33 trillion. So it means they have to completely dedicate an entire year and a half of all their output which no one can obviously do because you would all starve and produce nothing. And this doesn't include all the interest that is going up on top of this debt. And But just... it's also like to run the government, which is, you know, it isn't all the people, it isn't the GDP. You know, it's literally to run government functions for the country, which should be a small fraction of that GDP. Yeah. They've mm. run up over what they can produce within a year with no subtractions. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. You know, they can't control their spending. So ultimately, they put in the hidden tax on the tax, which you're going to have to pay big time at some point. But yeah. but this time it's different. Yeah. And I think this is where, as well, going back to the first story around the million dollar Bitcoin, this is how we get there because it doesn't, mm. it doesn't take, right? This is just one day in America, they print half the market cap of Bitcoin, right? Imagine when this money starts to run away from the dollar. It's 33 trillion sat just in America here of debt. They're printing all this money. It does slosh around. They've printed, what is it, this $275 billion. This money does end up in the ecosystem to some extent. But it, but you need it to stimulate the economy. Otherwise, <laughs> it will crash and go into deflation. <laughs> yeah well i think if you yeah if you take away the stimulate bit like they do need it they actually do need it to underpin their ponzi scheme yeah. but it does seem to be you know accelerating because if you look at the um value of the dollar um sorry actually value of the dollar goes like that and it nosedives doesn't it over time and we are it's how steep is it going it's going steeper and steeper and steeper and we're at that time when how do you save it and the only solution which comes to my mind is lock people on it by doing a CBDC. You need to lock them so they've got no escape route. But then, you know, if you start a new monetary system on top of it, say if Bitcoin was created after a CBDC, people will go back to the basics, trade for time, trade for services, trade for goods. You know, it'd literally just be, you know, someone makes it, make a mine it, do whatever they want and bring it in. There would be a way to escape it. So it's not all lost. And the fact is, there is an escape shoot already. 
Exactly. And, and just imagine when, you know, a couple of trillion from this huge market just comes running into Bitcoin. The, the, the price goes through the fucking roof, right? There's only, what is it? There's probably a few million Bitcoin max that's even available to buy. It's, that's probably too much. There's probably less than a million Bitcoin floating around all the exchanges that's on the, open, on, on the market. Once, and even once like half of that gets bought, a load of the people selling it will probably take it off and go, what the fuck? What am I selling Bitcoin for? So you it just what? means the supply and demand is going to get insane. And that's where a million dollar Bitcoin comes from. It just a rush of like a trillion dollars coming to buy Bitcoin when no one wants to sell their Bitcoin. No, no one wants money yeah. in a bank account. That, I that suppose thing. that's the elasticity. It isn't just, you know, it'll slowly creep up with that. With it'll that go straight up. In. It'll go straight up because you've only got that amount of Bitcoin available. Correct. So it makes me so that think. That goes back to your point of your two to three years and it's too soon. Well, it won't be because that's what's going to happen. Yeah. You'll have all of these events that Mr. All In were talking about. Then people finally get in it. The government will still try to be pushing the CBDCs. There'll be no liquidity in order to want to get hold of Bitcoin. And then people will just get it. Yeah. You know, this, as I say, like uh, the the current war, um, there was actually a story which we've not referenced, but a, a friend of mine messaged me uh, whereby apparently... Israel police have seized Hamas cryptocurrency accounts uh, with the help of uh, Tether and Binance to freeze them. So Hamas just happened to keep their crypto accounts available. uh, Exactly. And that was from Whalewire as well. So, um, But ultimately, people will want to use some form of money digital money, no, ideally, and not, as we've always heard, gold bars or gold coins. And therefore, you know, no one's being told, oh, we're seizing gold all of a sudden. No, you're not. You're trying to seize the digital assets because and I that's think, where the true value is. But I think with this, people are asking more questions, but I just think the basics are lacking. Like I was thinking to myself the other day, um about money and what it really is and it i think most simplistic way is it is a ledger between someone you know it's it's literally i'm giving you this as a proportion of that because i i um breed cows i can't just give you a whole cow for your piece of bread because it's disproportionate so i give you a ledger which gives you a certain percentage of that cow and i use it to buy your bread but obviously i buy more bread off you so you know and that's how it works and it's and people talk about intrinsic value and things like that, but it's not, I think, you know, boil, um, boiling it down, it is, um, it's a ledger of trading between time, goods, services, between people. And I think people really don't understand that because you hear like this bullshit, Bitcoin can't be a currency, it's too volatile, um, it's it's got no intrinsic value or whatever bullshit, but they don't actually understand the problem which it's solving. And I think until we actually realise what money should be, we're going to struggle to get there. Yeah, but there's um because obviously yeah, it is fundamentally it is a ledger. The ledger needs to have certain qualities. It needs to be open and viewable to all. It needs to be censorship resistant. Uh, 
and fundamentally there needs to be a, a limited supply of but, it, but it's jumping on those points so like we've seen it the limited supply going we've talked about in the inflation it makes you poorer over time it devalues your ask well it devalues your salary it devalues your savings if it's not um as we're seeing the current climate you know like everything's up by 40 percent. why because they keep on inflating the monetary supply when you talk about the decentralized or um, sorry, I forgot what word was, which you use kind of like tamper proof censorship resistance mm. is that no one can edit it. You know, it can't be played about the rules can't be changed unless it's a majority or if it does end up with a dodgy majority where someone takes over the miners, you can always fork and it's what the people choose. And that's where it becomes like the conundrum. How do you take over something which can morph into another chain? Yeah, it's, it's why I do quite like uh, using, it's going back to Rystones and using that as an example because sometimes Bitcoin, because it's electronic and it's all in the ether, you just go, oh, it's quite hard to to pin it down, what you mean. You know, why is it censorship resistant? Like, why is it? And you just go, well, Rystones then, Rystones is like a very primitive version of Bitcoin. It is just a ledger. It's a big fuck off rock that they shoved in the middle of their village and it had lines on it as to who owned what. And you couldn't change the lines. Everyone knew who had what. And if anyone wanted to change one of the lines and you know trade a part of the Rystone to another person, it had to be witnessed by senior people within the village. And they would authorize and you know and sign it and stuff and go, yeah, that bit of the stone is now being transferred from this person to this person because of, of this reason. And well, why weren't the loads of stones? Well, the stones were scarce. You couldn't just get a stone and just start divvying it up. It was one a year. There was a lot of work to get that stone in. That That is money. And it, it probably blows people's minds to think that's mm. money. It's like, yeah. it, it's, it's like I said, on a rock. it's trading for your time, your property, your services, goods or whatever. It's not got to be a precious metal. And people cannot get their head around that because it's what they've been taught about gold. It's got to be backed by government or whatever else. And it's just, it's a pile of bollocks, isn't it? When you go back to the the basic reason for it. Yeah, Rystone's yeah I think Lynn Alden was on um, Natalie Brunel's podcast, and she said, he who she who controls the ledger is in control, essentially. So, uh, and it is exactly that, you know, the, the world superpower... Uh, that the US being in control of the ledger is manipulating the ledger. And uh, and unfortunately, just like those who were in power before, they just become too corrupt or they inflate the ledger and uh, and then it collapses and then they lose their turn and it's passed on to somebody else. Now, we know that it takes time and hundreds of years, if not, you know, longer, but it always moves on. Yeah, it's it's the one thing, it is, and it and it typically like, there's a few reasons as to why it would move on. It's either that the you, they become fat and lazy, uh, or there's a sounder, harder. Well, you kind of say America's become fat and lazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could say that, and. uh but I, I, I actually think this, in this example, it's actually both. So I think mm. we've got there's a double pronged attack where they have become lazy and and, and fat, 
and obviously are devaluing their own money at a record rate. But it's the double-pronged attack, which is, oh, they've also, even if they were playing it straight, they would still be seriously hampered by Bitcoin appearing because it is a sound of money. And you know, no matter what a society or a, a global power will try, if a sounder, harder version of money appears, wealth will gather into that. It's just natural because it's just because, as you just said, we are trading our time for money. So we will trade our time for the soundest, hardest version of money because it just makes sense. Like, why would you put it in a in the dollar just because they're the world superpower? But if if that's getting inflated away, it just even if it was just two or three percent a year. But Bitcoin wasn't, and it was staying just at zero. Say, why? Why would you ever trade your time for a, an, an asset that is losing value as opposed to one that just holds its value? You you would just do it, and it will be slowly, slowly, and eventually it's a flood, and the floodgates open, and everyone just starts saving their their time in in the in the sound of money because it just makes sense. But but how would you stimulate the economy? I put a butt plug up its ass. <laughs> I mean, you actually, you actually end up with, I suppose, an economy which functions for proper jobs, things which matter, don't they? And money is rationalised. You kind of go, we've got a limited amount for this government, which would be a smaller government. We can only spend it on essential services. You could yeah. make excuses. Yeah, it'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. And, uh, but look at what they're doing instead. Our next story, it, this is really running well tonight. What's our next story? Oh, it's about Germany and taxes. Everyone loves a good tax. So this is <laughs> titled Tax in the Western World Has Gone Mad. Take a look at Germany. If you lived one year and earned $100, um, you would just keep 19. So I think this is based on being over 100 grand. I think there's some bad assumptions here. That's the effective tax rate of 81%. So your income... Um, 100 or 100 grand. Like I said, I don't believe, but it's income tax of 45%. They've done it just so $100 is a nice, easy number, right? It's just like... But I think it's meant to be 100,000 just to put it into context. That's where it kick in. I know. We're all trying to three zeros. Everyone gets lost. So So income tax at 45%, you lose $45. VAT at 21%. So you assume you spend 50% of income on goods or services, $11. So we've currently lost $56. Solidarity tax, 5.5%. I did read about what that was, but I've forgotten. So I'm a Medicare, Mantry Health Insurance, 1.45%. And then tax on death as well, 50%, $19. So what you keep out of all this, or what ultimately what the the kind of like wealth which you keep out of your $100 which you earn is 19 and it, like I said, it does make a lot of assumptions. Someone said late, later on, there's lots of loopholes to get out of that death tax. But, you know, the kind of question is, why should you have to jump through loops to not get taxed further on the wealth which you've created? You know, when you think about tax, it's like, why? Why would you pay this? Um, it makes no sense. Ultimately, I did, I did something similar to figure out the UK. And I think after, if you went for your average spends and what most people went, it was 60 something percent. It's absolutely through the roof. And then you've got sac- secondary tax as well. Everything that you buy has tax on top of the VAT. So you think, oh, you buy a Mars bar, but actually all those workers are being taxed. The company's being taxed and all, everything which they have is being taxed. There's literally there's this 
inception of taxes, which yeah. goes back. You kind of think, how much about $100? Okay, we've got $19 here. About $19 is actually untaxed when you actually go through the cycle. It, Very it gets absolutely insane. Yeah, I'm surprised Germans aren't kicking up more of a fuss uh, with regards to the tax. That they I love paying. efficiency of taxes. Well, yeah, so um, the, the solidarity surcharge for Germans is in relation to, on top of, as we've already mentioned, income tax, corporation tax and capital gains tax. It was introduced in 1991 to finance the cost of German reunification. It's, I, I always love it. They're paying a tax from 1991 to finance German renumeration. Yeah. So they're paying something which yeah. happened 32 years ago, they're paying a tax for. Yeah. I love how they name it as well, you know, solidarity tax. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you want to pay that? It sounds so wholesome, right? It's like the, the Patriot Exactly, Act. exactly, yeah. yeah. So therefore, you sound unpatriotic if you don't want to pay this tax. You don't care about your fellow man if you don't pay solidarity yeah. tax. And this, I, I really like this tweet mainly because we've discussed this numerous times, but it's been really hard for us to actually articulate like what is the tax, say, in the UK, right? Because we have a lot of these taxes, but I, I always struggled with going, what is the total it's, tax? It's direct. If you look at it, so if you go the average, you buy a house, council tax, et cetera, et cetera. I worked out it's 60 something percent. And that was only direct tax. So yeah. you've got all the kind of like inception taxes, which is impossible to work out. But it's but it's just trying to get an average, aren't you? So I like how we did VAT. Just, just assume everyone spends 50% of their income on goods and services. You go, yeah, okay. I think the average person probably does do that. So you go, okay, that's a good way of including VAT on there. Then you've got tax oh, on death. In that's the UK, but then you've also got... You've got inheritance tax. So what's that? Is it pay you pay something like twenty percent after three hundred grand or something like that? Uh, I think it's higher. I mean, they've they've upped it. They might be down. I don't know. But you know that may catch you. And then you've got um, capital gains tax. You've also get taxed on your pension if it's above a certain threshold. Um, is that twenty or thirty grand or something like that? So if you actually pay out over twenty or thirty grand per year. On your pension you get taxed as well yeah it's the same as income tax yeah you so just... you're getting taxed on something which you've already been taxed on in the uk yeah so it'd be interesting just to see like what it would all add up to be because this is the thing right because usually people focus on well your your income like how much do you get in your pay packet and then what goes straight out but yeah because straight away on here like we've got council tax council tax is a huge tax in in uk yeah. very that's it's my biggest bill now, you know, by by far. Uh, and um, so it'd be interesting just to see have all these factored in and then go, but then capital gains and capital gains, we just got screwed. Yeah, you know, I was talking to my brother the other day, and he's working out his taxes for the year, still um, assuming it was twelve grand cap gains. I'm like, young MBA, it's six now. They halved it. <laughs> he's like, what? <laughs> do you know yep. something about this is they upped the ISA allowance to 30 grand and I thought that was quite interesting because like my wife said to me and I was like 
it can't be as straightforward as that. So they've reduced the capital gains from 12 to 6, but now you can go up to 30 in an ISA. What so it's it? like, what, mm. what are they going to do with that ISA? Yeah, it's quite locked away, isn't it? Locked yeah. away for years. Well, it's not, because you can take out of an ISA whenever you want. Actually, yeah. Well, what was the limit before? 20. 20. That's quite... And quite before cool. that, it was... It was twelve or something. It's, yeah. it's crept up so, over the. But there's years. something going. But there's something going on there that yeah. can't be just yeah, a nicety. Yeah, there's a long. Well, they term know that your buying power is a lot less, and the fact is that yes, you may be locking that money up within order to make more money, but at the same time, on the flip side of it, they're inflating the money away. Yeah, but the fact is that well, an ISA. I I use ISAs for my um, stocks and shares, so you know I can put in thirty grand if I ever had that available per year. Um, but I just don't believe that nothing happens to that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And and you can't. Uh, I actually I also got an admission as well in terms of uh, we were talking about key lock boxes and safety deposit boxes as well and you know in terms of if you didn't want to have a safe at your house and there was only I think it's last year some some safety deposit boxes in Miami that mm. were seized and uh, and therefore that that's something that I've got to rule out once again oh yeah I, it, putting, but I, I understand maybe putting parts of your seed phrase in a thing but mm. you can say all the phrase or your ledger in there like it's just a total no-go because literally like we're saving this right for when the banks collapse but then where are your where's your where's your like get out of jail free money when the banks collapse oh shit it's in the bank like <laughs> you just put it in the worst yeah. place you could have <laughs> put it right <laughs> <laughs> Well, I actually looked at an independent safety deposit uh, box. I think it was like St. James's Wealth or something like that. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, but I still, still to the point, it doesn't matter. Any safety deposit it's not uh, safe. box company is being, sa- is being seized and yeah. it's not safe. Yeah, they get, um, they get broken into as well. And then yeah. it's weird when you read the T's and C's on this stuff. You know, in, in the event of a bank robbery, they, you're not... Like unless you independently insure it, and obviously insuring a ledger that has Bitcoin on it is going to be very tough. If you put some jewelry in there or something like that, then potentially you could you could insure mm. that. But good luck insuring some Bitcoin that you know it's going to be tough for the insurance company to know whether you really had it in there. You know they're gonna. I, I hate to see the hoops you'd have to jump through and. And yeah, like these these safety deposit boxes aren't always as secure as they they say. Like they, they, these things do get stolen. Like there's plenty of stories of people going in, opening up safety deposit boxes decades after they put stuff in it, and they're just empty. And it's just, well, we don't know what happened. Like what was in there? You go, well, I didn't tell you, but it was this and this. You go, well, mm. it's your at your risk kind of thing. Like we don't know yeah. what was in there, so we don't know what was stolen, and you haven't checked it for twenty years, so. Well, unlucky, yeah. I guess. So uh, that that terrifies me. Is like Bitcoin's one of those things that it's not like gold that that you need to almost pay a third party to secure it for you. It's everyone can secure it for a couple of hundred pounds. 
you can secure it yourself. It just you just got to think it through. You know, no matter how small your house is, there's there's cubby holes or whatever like that you can you can secure your Bitcoin in your house. Um, I think going back to the story about this tax is even if we take away from inheritance, you kind of wonder why are you paying sixty percent to your government of your income? It just makes no sense, does it? No. Well, actually, like, I've just replied to this tweet going, you've forgotten one of the taxes. Inflation. Inflation isn't even on here. Yeah, so in that, in, in, that, in that year in Germany, like if it was this year, for example, was it 20, 30% property tax on that? So of that 19, there's probably another 20, 30% gone. So it, it, I'd be surprised if they even have $10 left. They're probably below $10. If you factor in inflation, because if you if you held that money for the whole year and didn't spend it, you lost an extra twenty percent of the spending power. It's uh, but it's scary, right? It's it really is scary. It'd be really interesting to see someone put this type of chart together. Or I, I think it'd be actually a really good website, actually, to just um for every country to go like type in mm. your type in your income kind of click and enter and then just work out what your tax is. And and actually, yeah, it'd be nice, actually, if you just type in well, how much you earn and just click enter and it'll tell you your tax, like, per country and, like, order it. How much you're actually taking home. Yeah. And go, VAT, let's know, yeah. die this year as well. So like, what actual... would you pass on? Of the money you earn, what would you pass on if you were to die this year? It'd be, and it, I can guarantee, like, there wouldn't be a single country where you have more than 50%. You can guarantee. And it would just be a variant of probably, I reckon it'd start at about 60 and go right up to like 95 of how much you get taxed per $100 that you earn. Yeah, the Scandinavian countries love to tax quite deeply, don't they? Yeah, they're quite socialist, yeah. Um, anyway, should we talk about the next one? So seems like a bit of a revelation. Mm, this one was really interesting to watch as well. So it's uh, uh, it was Joe Rogan talking through how he believes that of all the cryptos, his words, <laughs> he believes that Bitcoin has the most likely possibility of becoming a universal viable currency. You can see the cogs whirring round in his head as he's speaking about this too. And it made me wonder whether or not he is finally not only swallowing the Bitcoin, the orange pill, but he's also digesting true Bitcoin fundamentals and coming to his own conclusion that this is the way. Because if he is... Is in danger of being cancelled. Oh, and Joe is, uh, <laughs> he's been in danger of being cancelled ever since. I was going to say, I, I, was read, I was reading his wiki not so long ago, and it's like the controversy surrounding um, ivermectin, COVID, um, Fauci. You know, he's been told off so many times. And who is it? One of the old um, rockers from the 60s said, who's meant to be against the establishment, said, Oh, if you don't get rid of Rogan, I'm taking my music off um, your platform. Oh, yeah. 
That's bottom yeah. I said, don't worry, we'll delete your music for you. Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't even have to send a demand, they just deleted it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he put a tweet out. That was great. That was during the freaking lockdown stuff. That was hilarious. Yeah. yeah and it's like you're really yeah. anti establishment, aren't you? And you're going against um, Rogan. I think it's because of, in that, um, either Mectum or him saying, you know, whatever about the injections. It's just like, well, which one was not telling the truth? Yeah. So I play the clip. I mean, the the real fascinating crypto is Bitcoin. To me, I mean, that's the one that I think has the most likely possibility of becoming uh, a universal viable currency. And it's, you know, it's limited in the amount that there can be. It's, you know, you, you people mine it with their own computer. It's like that to me is very fascinating. Yeah. And I love the fact that it's been implemented. And that at least some like I've had uh, Andreas Antonopoulos on the podcast, and he's when he talks about it, he's living it. He's spending all of his money. Everything he That's has cool. paid is in Bitcoin. He pays his rent in Bitcoin. Everything he does is in Bitcoin. Because uh, yeah, it's good because um, he talks about having Andreas on, doesn't he? Andreas Antonopoulos, and he hasn't had. Bitcoin on for quite a while. Like we've been... Isn't he a shit coiner though? He is now, but he wasn't when he went on, which is which is good, really. Because I think his last appearance was 2017, something like that. And I think he went on also in like 2015. So yeah, Joe was seen much of Andreas actually at all. No, he's not a name which I hear about anymore. No, he's blocked and all the maxis have got rid of him. Well, I like I've, I've talked about him at you know, at length numerous times in this podcast. Like he, mm. he he still is a hero of mine. He he is the guy that if anyone I can credit with always pulling me, it was Andreas. Like his his early videos, because when you go back to 2015, 2016, there was no podcasts, there was no websites, there was no books, there was just crappy little videos of Bitcoin conferences. And Andreas was one of the guys that taught and taught so eloquently. And and like I've said, it's in it's in the Q and A after his talks where I really got orange pilled because people were asking the questions that I was thinking. What about this? What about that? Come on, this is too good to be true. And his answers were so good. So it is good that at least at that point in his career, he went on Rogan and didn't successfully orange pill Rogan at the time, but he planted enough seeds. And now Rogan is starting to see the things that Andreas was saying about the fiat system just playing out in front of his eyes. And obviously Bitcoin hasn't gone away. It hasn't been a fad that's come and gone. It's 10 years on pretty much now from when Andreas first went on Rogan. And he's seeing, holy shit, Bitcoin's still around. It's a, it, a very strong price. And everything he said about the banking system and about fiat is happening. It's all just playing out. So maybe these Bitcoin guys... All right. So I hope this is the early sign of Joe going, maybe it's time to get another Bitcoin one. And I'd love a Safer Dean or a Sailor or a, or a Jack Mallers to go on Rogan and just fucking prop up, give him the updated spiel. Jack Jack Mallers or Jack Dorsey probably most likely, wouldn't they? Yeah, I don't want Jack Dorsey on, but Jack Mallers, yeah. I've never really ever heard Jack Dorsey speak eloquently about Bitcoin, and I, he is a Bitcoiner. But it'll get the, the, the conversation will 
veer into Twitter and all that bollocks. I don't don't care. You know, Jack Mallers. The, the person that I would like is more Jeff Booth because the way that Jeff Booth Lynn speaks, or Lynn Alden, yeah. I think Lynn Alden's a bit too highbrow for the audience, so. Um, man, if you've seen Rogan, like he has astrophysicists. Yeah, if I watch yeah. like Lynn Alden, it's just something else. So I think she's a bit beyond what he'd interview. You haven't seen his professors that he's had on. They're like yeah, I watched a few of the professors, but I think Lynn's on a different level. <laughs> Lynn's Lynn is so sharp. I've been watching. That's what I mean. I think it's just it's week. a bit too intense for to attract the <laughs> audience to. Well, I'd actually like to see it because Lynn. And oh yeah, I'd love to see it personally, but I don't think it would appeal to everyone. Yeah, I mean, safety might be my pick because he'd be entertaining as fuck. Oh, it'd be hilarious. Yeah, but Go that's on. the problem, isn't it? it? It would get into funny memes, and then missing the actual point of why he's there and and the purpose of actually orange pilling people. Uh, and that's why I go back to maybe a Lynn or Jeff Booth because it would actually make people think hmm. critically um, and yeah, kind think... of take it seriously and, and go beyond the fact that, oh, it's just a, a person with a tin hat, you know, a virtual I tin hat. I think Jeff Booth or Jack Maulers would be for me. Those would be the yeah. two. Like, safe Dean, I get a lot of enjoyment after what of watching him, but hmm. he's very dry. Um, and then, like you said, Jack Dorsey, maybe not because I, in retrospect, I haven't heard him speak a lot about Bitcoin. Um, obviously, Sailor is always a good one as well, but then Sailor could easily just be misconstrued as a, crazy you know, billionaire. a billionaire already, and therefore he's just doing it to line his own coffers. But We've seen the journey of Sailor and people, I guess, that would be listening to Rogan are only seeing and listening to him for the first time. Because, you know, coming to Rogan, we're gonna, you're going to be exposed to a brand new, typically non-Bitcoin audience. And therefore, it has to be somebody that has the credibility and the ability to transcend above, uh, over and above the hardcore Bitcoin crowd. Almost, I do think it's one of the things we actually need to slightly agree on as a Bitcoin community. Who are we putting forward to Rogan? Because it's come up a few times and uh, mm. there's always quite a fierce debate about it. And then I think what ends up happening is Rogan just gets fucking inundated with like a dozen names and he goes, I ain't freaking there to pick. I'm not picking none of them. Like we just need I think, Jack that would have, I think because he's quite young, Jack Maulers would, I think, have appeal. Jeff yeah. Booth is, <laughs> is probably a good choice as well. Yeah. In the way that she speaks. Jack does have a, a few angles to go from at his age in his company. And he he was part of the El Salvador stuff. So I think it I think it could work, yeah. But um but yeah, ho- hopefully Joe's like he is warming up and he gets a bitcoin on just to to refresh him because he's at least five years out of date, which you know, fair yeah. for him to he's 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 had the the core essence of Bitcoin delivered to him, but I think he's then walked away from it to a certain extent and then he's seeing what's mm-hmm. happening in fear and he's going that seems I think to be when you're too rich 
he's got a disconnect from the actual need. Oh, of course. I think it's more of the case of, do you know, uh, our pod, and I genuinely mean this, our pod will get more traction when price goes up because it will have more eyes on it. And I feel like um, Joe Rogan will equally be the same. He's not interested right now because it's not a hot topic. He's not thinking, do you know what? It's about time I have a Bitcoin around. It's, it's the same as, you know, all of the other hit podcasts that are out. But that's why, unfortunately, the pod, we, we never go on to name. <laughs> you know, but uh, McCormack does consistently McCook. have. Yeah, yeah, McCook has good guests. I've gone off big time. I can't, it's one of the things which she said lately, I was just like kind of going, I struggle. I struggled to listen to him. I put on one of his the other day and I just turned it off. He's, he's a moron. Yeah, he is. But it's still trending as if not the you well, know the, the we key need to work one, isn't it? We need to find someone else to host host those pods. Get rid of Well that. again, Natalie Brunel, she she's got you know a consistent format. Pump obviously went off the boil and is nowhere to be seen. Um we got breed love, but breed love. Oh my god, the oh. way that he, the way and the setting of where he interviews people, it's, it's everyone says it in the comments. It's like a, a torture camp, it's like a prison. I don't know, doesn't, it, doesn't it play some mu- Doesn't it play some like music at the start? I don't know, I've listened to what, do, maybe but... breed love, and I've just been like, I can't like this music, just doesn't really do it. It's like an interrogation room, though, that the the, uh, the set or wherever is interviewing them. It's 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 awful. It really is. If you look at it, it's like concrete walls, two people, obviously him facing the guests, and uh, yeah, it's just bad, really bad. Yeah, and then Pomp is probably too busy sleeping on his what seven mattress, whatever it's called. Yeah. Well, this is the problem, right? Is I think um, getting someone that's a proper Bitcoin maxi because so far everyone you've named isn't even a Bitcoin maxi. Or McCook it... claims that he is a full-on Bitcoiner, but refuses to say maxi because he gets grief off all the maxis for being mm-hmm. a moron. Yeah, and yeah, and he d- he doesn't want to associate with us. So he, you know, so we need a proper Bitcoin maxi who is is proud to say it, which you know is, is basically just takes balls because it means you're you're anti. The government and he isn't really anti-government he's kind of pro-bitcoin but still thinks that it's, it's always fucking conflicted he doesn't and he's too stupid to be able to work out what he really thinks so we deem so jack marler started a podcast but then that seems to have gone yeah. away because yeah, the problem is like you know, he's too busy and no doubt i i, I don't this... doubt he is and then you got sailor like sailor can't ever do a podcast because he does 40 minute anecdotes so <laughs> any guest is going to be they'll say hello and then goodbye probably <laughs> like, it's, and then say they will just rant about bitcoin for an hour and a half in the middle <laughs> Jeff booth maybe we had the time so i think he's into everything no, but if you think about the shows that are out there that you know who already has a platform because going back to again lynn 
What Lynn has done, I feel, is really good is the fact that she's not bothered trying to create her own platform, but she's gone on those that do have them, and they're very uh, eager to have her on her own platform, on their platform. And she goes on, talks, she boosts their numbers, and then she goes off. She doesn't need to consistently drop knowledge on her own platform and build up a following because by doing what she does best, which is the newsletters and then the interviews, she she's managed to create her own audience and own following. So yes. maybe um maybe by, get, by getting Ralph Lennox onto the pod we could be the new show. <laughs> exactly that. That's where I'm really vying for. The Bitcoin. Who's who's going to uh, message Ralph Lennox's daughter and get it? I was going to say, Mister All In is in the conversation at the moment. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. And then we'll try and get him on, and then we'll ask him to send um, a a few signed copies to um, Susie, and I'll go and pick them up. Hey, presto! For the next meal, we'll we'll have a signed copy. Apart from Miss No Show. Fantastic. Well, (laughs) Mrs. No Show doesn't read, so it's only three copies. Yeah. He, he could have a picture <laughs> um, uh, yeah let's definitely make that happen so on to the next one Bitcoin history I read this and interesting article just to read about it so it's someone who sold so many coins they affected the price um, but there's just one bit which are kind of I think the purpose of the article it leads into Segwit and it's not an area which I particularly know so I think mm. it requires a bit of an explanation. So long article, really interesting. So it talks about, I suppose, someone's conviction and lack of conviction and conviction again and kind of a cycle. So this guy, he had 36,000 coins in about 2013, 2014, eight, uh, $8, so $288,000 originally. And he sold 30,000 of them. At three hundred dollars, well, between three hundred and three hundred and fifty, so you got about nine million from. Um, but then he started looking at the the arena, and admitted he made a wrong choice and started to come back in about a thousand. But one point is he sold thirty thousand. He didn't sell six thousand, so that's quite clear in the start of the article, unless they've just done a typo. So he had 6,000. If he's still got those 6,000, he's got 135 million in Bitcoin, plus whatever he bought back in at 1,000. And bear in mind, he had a treasure chest of 9 million at that point as well. So he, when he went to sell, I think the important point is when people started, started seeing the, um, the selling, they realized it would take the price down. So a lot of holders of Bitcoin started buying up at that price. So the, the market didn't crash, which is, you know, good. It's a little bit, you kind of think, oh, it's a bit manipulating the market. But then you think, would Bitcoin, if it crashed so badly at that point, ever have got to where it is now? You know, to a point that platforms are using it, a country uses it. People are talking about it for legal tender for various other countries. We're looking at ETFs. We're looking at what the next innovation, you know, this, you know, for someone, I certainly wasn't around back then, but was it that kind of big history point which could have been a key turning point which could have destroyed Bitcoin? 
Yeah, this is before my time as well, which is why I just found it. I stumbled across this. I just found it fascinating that, yeah, in the, in the early days of Bitcoin, obviously this guy, he must have been independently wealthy before Bitcoin. He yellowed in at $8 and then was almost kind of holding the price of Bitcoin to ransom because every time mm-hmm. the price went up, he was taking profits and and people could see that it was his account and you know he was called the bear whale because he was literally keeping the price of Bitcoin down. Uh, and then you know everyone could see his account they knew he was active and uh, so he was constantly taking gains and it's like when are we going to get through the bear whale because every time the price goes up he sells some and it comes back down I suppose the point about this is how many coins were about in about 2014 that's probably a key point to this one because if he's got 36,000 it wouldn't have been 36,000 of what are we up to 19 million it would have been substantially lower Mm. Or thirty six thousand, it would have been probably around a hundred dollars a coin, something like that, around there. Yeah, but twenty fourteen. Yeah, you think there could have been, you know, a couple of million coins or something at that point? Oh, there will be, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So his holdings were absolutely humongous. Mm. Yeah, and the, and they are obviously now as well. But yeah, it's just it's just interesting because it's um. Obviously, these days are long gone. And um, I was seeing part of this when I first came in. There were certain addresses that people would look at and go, oh, no, if this guy sells, then, you know, the bear's coming back. You know, we can't keep going up. And this is essentially like the slaying of him because every time the price was going up and he'd be selling. And uh, and he was essentially capping the price of Bitcoin at $300. Because he he sold essentially thirty, he didn't sell all these thirty thousand coins at once. He was just selling them bit by bit. He didn't want to crash the price completely. He was just trying to get the maximum price for his for his money. So he was just selling them in tranches. So the price of Bitcoin just couldn't get above three hundred dollars. Because every time it did, he would sell another thousand coins. And but oh my god, when's this guy going to fucking run out of money? And uh, and essentially, like eventually. He, he runs out of money the price goes shooting up and he ends up buying back in at a thousand dollars and you go there we go that is the categoric slaying of a bear whale who was basically wrong about the price of bitcoin he thought it was it done its thing but then yeah he obviously then talks about segway at the bottom and and who, who knows if this is a bit of revisional history from him uh because he's anonymous and a lot of years have gone by when he shares a story of what he was doing back then, but he he seems to be saying he was he was pushing for Segwit and it really needed that adoption. The Segwit is to allow more transactions on a block. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, it helped it helped scalability of Bitcoin. Yeah, and and Segwit also then enabled uh, Lightning to be possible and and Taproot now. So it it, it was huge, and th- this was when I, I was just getting into Bitcoin when Segwit was being talked about and this was this was kind of when the big bitcoin war kind of kicked off so the the losers of the segwit battle ended up forking off and doing bitcoin cash BSV. Oh, that, must, that must have gone well they must have chosen the right track for that <laughs> there you go so it, it, so if anything it was great you know this is this is this bitcoin in action again because when you're living through this thing i came in in segwit and uasf was all going around user activated soft fork 
I was confused as fuck. I'm like, what the hell is all this? And it says the baptism of fire. But essentially what it managed to do is it just, all the scammers and grifters, for whatever reason, were on the wrong side of SegWit. So they mm. lost. They didn't want to activate it. Was well, Bitcoin Cash Craig Wright? Mainly Roger Ver, but I'm Craig Wright, yeah. Yeah, because it's a bit before our time. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bitcoin Cash, the only thing which I really know about is I was just, you know, please don't let me have bought Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash by mistake at the start. Well, this comes down to uh, network effects, doesn't it? And it also, it's a, it's a couple of things, actually. So it kind of defeats the argument from people coming into Bitcoin now who say, oh, well, the boat's already sailed, so I'll go for the other one. Mm. Because the network effect of where Bitcoin is right now is so large that it's hard, if not impossible, for another to then come and catch up with it. But it's and, also, you know, these others, like once again, goes to people don't understand what Bitcoin is. Correct. You know, back to yeah. it's the ledger. Oh, I'll go for Ethereum. I'll go mm. for SHIB. I'll go for XRP. What are they in relation to Bitcoin? Are they the same? No. No. And the market cap of it, and obviously the fundamentals of the decentralization of uh, of Bitcoin and all these good things, and people really have to, well, they don't think about it and they don't get it, but when they do get it, then they obviously stick with Bitcoin. And in another point is the fact that with Bitcoin, we know it, that the market cap is there with it, and, and people just need to under. Yeah, people know the twenty-one million, but they, do they really understand the significance of this in comparison to anything else? Because I always say, well, tell me another thing that we cannot make more of, with a guarantee that we cannot make more of, and everyone struggles. Yeah, well, all those people that thought they were going to be, oh, Bitcoin Cash, BSV, whatever before, Bitcoin Gold, Bitcoin Platinum. There were so many fucking Bitcoin summits. Yeah. Every single one is down 99.5% since then. So every single person that thought they were getting in at the ground floor on this new coin, totally wrecked. But, yeah, uh, back to the other point as well. So... Um, as we go along this road and journey, we're going to find a lot of people, maybe like this guy, that reach it, that reach their moon. So they sell off when really, obviously, it's it's too soon. So on the road to seventy five k a Bitcoin, it's going to be a lot of money to some people who are potentially like that person who's a whale. And therefore, yep, they'll tap out. Whereas if you can continue to hold on and ride it even further, then it's just going to be amazing. I was going to say, I know that my wife would be calling for me to sell. We had a conversation. Yeah, we had a conversation about about it the other day. And she's like, so how much do you have? And I was like, told her, 10 sats for everyone. 
Um, and she's like, so when it goes up, are you going to sell? And I was just like, no. <laughs> I'll buy more. Yeah, I need to buy more. I haven't got enough. We're deciding which kid to, to sell first. <laughs> this was you were orange plinker during a birthday day. What? Do you want to know what my safe words were? Naturally. Quantitative easing. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Strong. Strong. I was going to say, you can tell who um, who listens to the whole pod when we're not here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do we want to nip on to the next one? So we're interested in that Bitcoin history, but we've got, I think, another... It's quite a good, quite a good week for stories, actually. Really good agenda here. Yeah. In. So I don't think I can anything Mr. to Royal. this. Um, the next one, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. So I actually mentioned this earlier. I don't know where that, where that thought came into my head from because it's from a <laughs> later story. Um, and it's um, a newspaper article which someone has shared on Twitter from January the 3rd, 2009. And there's two main headlines in here. Really interesting. So one we talked about, Chancer on brink of second bailout for banks. When's it going to happen? So what was his name? Was it? Um, the guy early who George Osborne or George Osborne, it wouldn't be no bit bitmax, oh. the um, the CEO. Oh, what I was just saying that he was talking about the crash of the, the dollar. Oh, but anyway, so someone we were talking about earlier, I can't remember the bitmax CEO, his name, but anyway, he's talking about the collapse of the dollar. Oh, Arthur, oh, Arthur Hayes, right? Yeah, Arthur Hayes. So we got the chance on brink of second bailout for banks, which is inevitable. We've known it's inevitable, it's gonna happen. And the one which is such a coincidence because it's in line with it, Israel prepares to send tanks and troops into Gaza. What's happening at the moment? So massive coincidence, isn't it? Yeah, it's bizarre that on January 3rd, 2009, banks about to collapse and Israel is sending tanks and troops into Gaza. So we're, what is that, 15, 14 14 years later, hmm. banks are yet again on the brink of a second bailout because they've, they've if, you, if you're talking American banks here, this is obviously UK, but the banks had their first bailout earlier in the year. Who knows how close they are to their second bailout? And here we are with Israel. Yeah, we've had a couple of banks ba- bailed out in the UK as well, haven't we? We had um, one with the woke nonsense. I think we were two actually. Did they? What yeah. this year? Yeah, in the last year, I can't remember the names of them, but I think we had two um, British ones or ones with lots of British base in there. And um, what was it? The Conservatives or the government, um, I can't remember the phrase, but they said that they would basically give them back back it or something like that. They said it wasn't a bailout, oh, yeah. but they said that they would back it. Because I remember your comment on LinkedIn it's that guy who couldn't read um, a share chart. Yeah, oh God, yeah, I remember. Yeah, so here we are. It's just, it's bizarre, isn't it? You know, 14 years apart and mm. it, it almost makes me like just think, has is, is anything even changed? You know, it's just, but... Well, I was going to say, one big thing has changed. You can't eat out from £5. Can't yeah. even get a starter for that. And, and the price of Bitcoin went from zero essentially on this day 
to what we're on right now, £22,307 of Bitcoin. <laughs> a hell of a change from when Satoshi... It's been a lot of tulips. Yeah. 14 years later, lots of peaks, lots of lots of troughs, but we're still here. Yeah, maybe, maybe it is maybe it is something you know just maybe 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 you just need that one percent in your portfolio as a bit of a hedge man look at the, maybe. Look at the page you've got a 99 p pint there Might, remember the days where you could get a pint for less than a quid so you can't um, get less than a fiver now so a meal five pounds and a pint 99 pence five pound 99 for a nice little meal now like what four pound 50 i reckon probably get them a pint so not quite a fiver and a meal i think you'd be lucky to get a main course for like 12 pounds so that's 16 pounds yeah because because if you just focus on the beer for a minute like that has gone up astronomically hasn't it that's if, if we just say even if you say four quid a pint that's 400 percent right but it's it's basically been 15 years inflation should halve the price of everything every 15 years so it should be so two pounds a pint should be a two quid yeah it's gone up double what it should have and i think the food to be fair roughly is about in line with that it's food is roughly doubled because obviously this is eat out from a fiver that's a deal right it's that's an advert in the top of the screen there no, here, here we go. So 99 is just a single pub. So it's still pretty bad. So pub pint average is £1.69. It says in small print there, I've just caught it. Oh, okay. So it's still really bad. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it's around about in line with the food because it's £5 up to £12, £1.69 up to, say, £4. Yeah, it's about the same then, yeah. yeah. But it hasn't just halved the money. It's beyond halving within 15 years. Yeah, but it's just weird, isn't it? How obviously the last couple of days, everyone's up in arms. I pray for Israel. Da, da, da. You go, mm. this has been going on for decades. They, like, they've been bombing each other, raping and killing children for for decades. And it, yeah. for some reason, we've just picked on this one and gone, let's shove this on the TVs and social media everywhere, and really get intimate with the people that are dying and the children that are dying and shove it on TV and get everyone really het up about it. And I'm just looking at this going, these guys have been doing this for decades. Yeah. We just we just didn't put it on TV before. But the only thing that's changed is we put this one on TV and I'm going to be in the sceptical brain that I have. It's, well, why are you doing this? You go, you're whipping everyone up into a fury here, aren't you? into supporting something and it's it's going to be supporting a side shit tons of money going into israel isn't it and it's going to be along with ukraine but it it does go into send level looks earliest earlier comment but they're stretched so thin now but it's but i think this is one of those things where i can't because the thing is this looks engineered so why would you engineer spreading yourself even thinner it's almost right. like giving a, a need. It's it's like almost America needs to grab even more land. So is it going to... Because obviously we know as they've taken helped Ukraine, they have essentially co-opted and taken their natural resources. So is that what they're doing here now? Are they essentially... Is, is America spreading into Israel now? 
that's all I can assume, right? It's going always, but it's always been in Israel, so it's a bit of a weird one. Yeah, it's yeah. And also, Israel, yeah, this isn't. It doesn't even have oil. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it, it's sad. I, I don't that, know the what, way what the is world. the relationship as to why, because there's always a reason. But what are they specifically getting from Israel? Yeah, I was going to say they already own it, so yeah, really understand. I don't. I've got yeah. no idea what's going on. They don't have no. massive resources, from what I know, but I never appreciated. But Ukraine did. Ukraine have various minerals and metals, don't they? Which make them massive. Israel yeah. could have something which we don't know about because you never would have guessed what Ukraine had under the surface. No, it, it might just be a complete distraction. One, yeah, just to go to forget about the fact that you can't afford to go on holiday and pay your car payments and mortgage mm. your kids aren't getting blown up in the street well mm. it, it's but it's it's super sad right it's just it's one of those where i i still just it gives me i'm both like bullish and bearish on bitcoin when i read this it's just i just in 15 years i just really would have hoped we'd have done more in a way but then you kind of go you probably expected too much of a currency because it's you know, the the same wars are carrying on. You know, there's the it's the same bollocks, isn't it? Like Bitcoin's existing. You've got to think like really, you know, Bitcoin's done nothing on on a on a financial scale in the financial landscape. Bitcoin is a gnat. It's just it's an insect, and there's these big freaking whales and bears walking around that is fear, and um they're causing all this damage, and children are dying. Like it's just these wars going on. It's just needless, and you just want Bitcoin just. To, Fucking take over, but it's like it's not Bitcoin's fault. It's the people. Like Bitcoin's just sat there. <laughs> like yeah. you can just yeah. buy, any fucker can buy it. So it's the why aren't these people buying it? And like if we if we all just brought it, this stuff ends. This is manipulated. You'd end up with a lot of you'd end up with a lot of smaller states, wouldn't you? You know, like Israel would be broken up even smaller. The UK would, US would. You'd end up with very small governments and areas because it just wouldn't there wouldn't be the need anymore for these super yeah. big governments. I think it'd be uncontrollable. Yeah. And, and as we know, you know, where where Israel going to get all their weapons now to bomb this shit out of the Palestines? America already going to send them. I read some rumors that they're saying that the Hamas got their weapons yeah, from, from U- Ukraine, which came from the US anyway. So. <laughs> Yeah, like n- nearly all the all the weapons in the fucking on the globe are either from Great Britain or America. Yeah, you know, it, it's like then that's been like a very known fact for forever. That I knew that even before I knew about the money was corrupt. It was like where where all these Middle Eastern countries that they they are very like they're almost third world countries sometimes, but they've got top of the range guns and tanks and missiles. And it also says made in the USA or made in Britain mm-hmm. on it. You go, how the fuck did they get all those? It's like, oh, we sold them to them. It's like, why the fuck did we do that? And then we go <laughs> in, it's called peace talks. And you go, why the what you armed one side, like, and then oh, it's just and obviously it's all for profit, it's all for fear. Like we know war's profitable, the war machine, like. And, and and genuinely, the, the biggest reason I think these wars always kick off, like other than just capturing resources, like these big country type level wars gives a huge reason for governments to exist. And I think it scares the people. 
because the people go, holy shit, if something like that happened in my country, oh, I'm, I, I feel safe because my government has a nice big army, so we would be protected. And he goes, oh, thank God we have a government then. If we didn't have a government, mm. we wouldn't have protection. And you go, yeah, protection from who? Like another government with a huge military. That's who you're... So, yeah, it's just mm. the, it's the fear-mongering and the profiteering that comes with these wars. And, man, we just... They're like war won't go away like jesus like even when we're on a gold standard we're on rye stones we're on beads humans love fighting it's all about ego most of the time but the, at least the, the fights tend to be quite short fights and we don't have decade-long wars and like this palestine israel thing is it's gone on for far too long and the, the, the problem that i've seen on the social media side of it in the last couple of days has just been it's so polarizing it's so pro-Israel, and it seems to be, if you're a Palestinian right now, you're not human, you're a monster, you're a beast, you're an animal, and you deserve to be essentially just nuked off the planet. And you go, well, what, what, how the fuck have we got to this point where there's, there's essentially like two or three million people that live in Gaza that are essentially under like this Hamas rule? And the majority of people, like, and all these wokey-cokies that are supposedly think the best in everyone and have their pronouns listed, they're fine of wiping 3 million people off the planet. Half of them are children. Yeah. You know, how is that the virtuous thing to do right now? These are all the mask wearers, the triple vaxxed, supporting Ukraine. And now they're supporting yeah. to kill 3 million people. I just read this going, before I would condemn 3 million people, it would take a hell of, I would need a lot of fucking evidence to prove that every single one of those people is rotten to the core. And the second you present a five-year-old kid to me, I'm like, well, that kid ain't rotten to the core. It's fine. Just parents speaking what his parents are told. So how about we don't nuke him just yet? Maybe he's got a chance. But yeah, when I go on Twitter right now, all these wokey cokies are like, wipe him off the planet. And you go, we need a freaking Bitcoin standard because the, these these people are just completely brainwashed by the fiat system that are just at the moment that when they cheer on the, the whatever the current thing is, and the current thing is to hate these people, so they are just jumping on board and going fucking carrying that bag even further, and it's like what it, you're just being you're so easy to manipulate. It's almost sad to see it happening in real time. But, yeah, but anyway, on that. Dip into geopolitical um, news. Should we try and get back onto Bitcoin with um, a big story? It's a new record. New Bitcoin Indeed. hash rate re record. And they do say that hash rate precedes price, don't they? So it looks good. It looks like um, this could be um, a beginning to the halving, which we've been waiting for um, coming up. Yeah, that, that yeah, graph is yeah. so fucking bullish, isn't it? Look at the state of that. Uh, what, what's the number, by the way? I, I did <laughs> manage to find a, a figure of how many... I mean, the zeros is... Uh... It's, it's just the 420 that's important. And then... Yeah. What is it? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. 6 times 3, 18 zeros. <laughs> but yeah. after 420, I, I, I honestly don't think that number has a has a, a word it's like it's just quad, known as bullish quad trillion billion 
<laughs> yeah, it's fucking bullish. Yeah, it's um, yeah. but th- this just shows you, right? So this is um, like you said, hash power is much more reliable than price to gain on what the general momentum of Bitcoin is. So it's whenever people tell me like Bitcoin's volatile, da, 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 I go, but it's not really. If you looked at the, you just look at it on the price point and price is quite easy to manipulate. Literally, as we saw before, where we talked about the Bitcoin history and the bear whale, it, a single person can hold the Bitcoin price hostage and chuck the price up, up and down. They can only do it for a certain amount of time, but they can do it. Now, when it comes to hash rate, there's no single person that can throw the hash power up and down. Hash power is hugely decentralized. It takes a huge amount of investment and then time and skills to set up these mining companies. And obviously, it's huge skin in the game because you could have just, instead of spending millions and millions on miners, you could have just bought Bitcoin. But they've chosen to go, no, we're in this for the long game. We think we can make more money by investing in the tech and energy and mining Bitcoin. And we will make more over the long term than we will just buying the asset. So these people have got a huge skin in the game. And uh, and this is the metric that matters because it's how many people on the planet are buying miners and in it for the long haul. And as you can see on this chart, it's very fucking up and to the right. It's pretty much going parabolic right now. And uh, and it's at all-time highs. So anyone that says, oh, Bitcoin's down in doldrums, it's you know 50% below its all-time high, you go, well, that's one metric. The other metric is hash power, and we are at all-time highs, and that's the metric that matters. Bullish. 420 yep. quintillion, to be exact. Quintillion. Yeah, there we go. We have a number for it. I think that's a good way to leave it. So, is this would this be a show never look story to finish with? It was definitely aimed at so never look. <laughs> if the never look wasn't on this pod, I wouldn't have put this story on. <laughs> and, 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 I, I and assume it, that so never look was the one who picked it out. Oh no, it wasn't. He 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 would have skated past this probably and. Buried it and pretend it didn't exist. <laughs> it's an interesting one, and uh, I always say, you know, there is a there's definitely a place for property still, because whilst we love our digital assets, people will always need a roof over their heads. They will, but will it be profitable to have multiple homes or as profitable as it has been? Will the price of property still go up at the same same rate? Will debt still be at the same rate? That's the issue, isn't it? So, um, well, ultimately, we, we know that the fastest asset out there is Bitcoin, hence the reason why we're on this pod. But uh, yeah. I, I still believe the, the phrase, safe as houses, is still, you know, still reliable. It's, it's reason, uh, if you look in a, a sound money environment, I think it's you've got to have the intention of going generations with things like housing, which isn't why most people buy housing now. You know, it's mm. to prove their life, have debts, which, you know, an interest only mortgages, which pay quickly. Whereas, you know, on a Bitcoin stand, I feel like it would be large landowners. That's the only way it should get to it. Someone who 
plans generations in advance and takes a sacrifice for um, future generations. But then they do always say that usually wealth is spent within a few generations. Mm. But, uh, so, uh, do you want to take us to the story, uh, Mr. Yeah. yeah, go on. So, this is basically just a story from a Bitcoiner called uh, Ashley Giles. And, uh, yeah, you went out to dinner. Sounds like one of our dinners, actually, but all his mates seem to work in property. They're having a tough time. And uh, so, we tried to orange pill them because, um, obviously, they're having a tough time in property because, as we know, interest rates have gone up. Uh, failure of paying rent is going up. So people in property that have had it easy are finding it tougher, and, you know, the taxes are going up, all that kind of stuff. So they're all complaining about the fact they're not making as much money in property anymore. He tries to orange peel them, but they just resist it, say nah. And um, so, but in the end, he, he's managed to convince them that they would... Um, have a one-on-one kind of session with them for a couple of hours like individually because so he's like oh I've, I've managed to get them but they won't take it as a group like they've just been brainwashed into thinking bitcoin is a scam you know property is the thing the fiat system won't collapse and uh so it's super hard to to get and i i read this just going holy shit like this this was me uh if i go back a couple of years you know, going to dinner with you guys. Like you weren't all property guys, but you were you were investment guys. And I'm like, it's just it's just Bitcoin, guys. That's just like well, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if Bitcoin didn't exist, what else would you do? I'm like, well <laughs> that that that's a big hypothetical because then suddenly, yeah, yeah, back I'm back in your world now. Now I'm like, I've got I've got to forget everything. I've got to forget the entire reason why I'm buying Bitcoin. I've got to almost assume that that entire hypothesis is wrong. And assume that the the economic and financial world won't collapse. Oh right, assuming that right now, yeah, property probably is worth having. I probably would have a few, a few other properties. Bonds would, would would be a good like hedge for 20 percent. The stocks for another and a good like diverse. But then I've got to go. I've got to put my brain to one side to allow myself to do that because thirty years ago that would have been the case. But it's not thirty years ago now. It's today. And seeing mm. debt and inflation as high as it is, I go, well, all these assets other than Bitcoin are going to get so severely damaged or taxed or just seized in some shape or form. So it's very hard for me to recommend anything that isn't Bitcoin because it's always got this, it's got like a freaking, there's a knife above its head that, and the government's holding it and you just go, well, when does it put it into that one? I don't know. That's the risk. Like the, the actual asset itself might be good, but the government are going to come for each of these assets as their power over the people erodes, as the the confidence in their money also erodes. So the only thing that is safe from being confiscated is, is Bitcoin. And I just share this guy's uh, frustration with his own mates going, they just don't get it. They're smart guys. They're not. They're not in the in the rat race. Just like earning their money and spending it and being consumerism. Consumerism. You know, they're they're doing investments. They're into pop into property for the right reasons. They're they're trying to get out of the game. They're they're trying to be smart of their money. 
but for whatever reason they're brainwashing to thinking the financial system is going to be there forever and when someone tells them that it could collapse and maybe you should buy some bitcoin they just dismiss it and uh it's i definitely i definitely hear you and and ultimately i've seen that the government have made it even more difficult for the average layperson to get out of the rat race and so uh the barrier to entry is you know it's steep so you know yeah you will naturally be put off and turned away and maybe you are turned to to bitcoin but i still think it's a I know we use the word hedge. I still do think it is a good hedge as well uh, to to do both. Yeah, just this 1% is all you need to get going in your portfolio, or you can buy single sats if you're really tight. Yeah. Let's, let's go back to freaking Ralph here. Ralph freaking on it. <laughs> if he got Does it, Ralph mention property? Uh, no. Not no, 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 Ralph's not into to... property. Don't be silly. No. I think he was actually, to be fair to him, because I think that's where maybe he made some of his money, but then he realised mm. it isn't... I think he was in, in the age where you buy almost your kids a house. You know, that would be one of your... Mm. Your buy-to-let would go to the kid and then you pass the mortgage on to them, but you'd already paid off a load of it or something. And mm. that would almost be the investment. And I think he, he did talk about it a little bit early on. I think his background may have been in property a little bit. But then he's quickly pivoted out of it and gone into Bitcoin. But it amazes me that you know this guy got it right, and then you've got this guy who's clearly orange pilled to the max. He's yeah. a Bitcoin maxi, got a load of mates into their investments. They're they're about forty, I think he said in it. So they're not young, but they're youngish. You know, not boomers. Pretty much in our demographic, really. Whenever I see forty year olds, my freaking oldies, I'm like, oh fuck. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in their category now, bollocks. But and they just dismissed it. They, oh. you know, they don't. They even want to hear it. They don't even want to entertain. But he does. He does end it by saying, "I think the uncertainty that is going on in the world right now there have never been better time." Saying, "I can tell you, it's the most um, far most captive audience from twelve months ago. It's mm. nothing to do with the price. People are waking up but need educating fast." And it is all these mm. circumstances. It's like, why the fuck does all this keep on happening in super quick time? We mm. had COVID. We had the Suez Canal. We had Ukraine, Israel. And we have COVID mentioned every five minutes. And yep. it's kind of going, why does it keep on happening? I'm yeah. mixing some financial crashes, banks going under. Why does everything cost 40% more? Yeah. I, I, I think they used to have to or they were able to spread their false flag bollocks events about every five years. But because the collapse is so imminent and they need to print money at such a rate, they're churning them out every three to six months now. And mm. I think people are starting to go, there's too many freaking disasters that always require another fuck ton of money to be printed. Maybe they're making some shit up. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's slowly but surely waking people up. And obviously then it always helps when people go just see it for real and they, they do their food shop and that £50 weekly shop now costs 150 That wakes people up. Yeah. I think, you know, from this and our conversations, I think I'm going to 
next time someone asks me about Bitcoin, I'm going to ask them what's money. And let's let's leave the ledger conversation. <laughs> I don't think I don't think they'll understand that. But the, the, the biggest but, problem you're going to have is what's a ledger. Yeah, that's what I mean. They they won't even. Yeah, maybe work out a different word of that. But you know, I have to come across someone who actually wants to talk to me about Bitcoin. It it kind of already blows their mind because you know the fact that the ledger, or if there is a ledger, is being kept by the government, and that all transactions get back and are calculated back on this ledger they've already they've lost it needs to be even more simpler than that yeah yeah i have to think next time someone asks me about it i'll see what way i can explain it and see if i can get any progress off that conversation because you just can't stop start with bitcoin no it's like it's like going in dry Yeah, it's not very pleasant for either of you. Gonna get blood everywhere. <laughs> right. Well, there we have it. We're going to uh leave pod one one six on going in dry. So if you've made it this far, well done. This has been another podcast brought to you by the usual suspects, Mr. Orlin a.k.a. The Trillion Dollar Man, Dr. Evil 10%, a.k.a. The People's Champ, myself, Sir Neverlook, a.k.a. The Excellence of Execution, and surprise, surprise, Mrs. No Show was a no show. Quick stat, there are 32 Starbucks venues in Italy. (laughs) So uh, that is definitely there, and there is definitely a chance that Mrs. No Show popped into one whilst being there. Peace.